if you're watching live by YouTube, good morning. If you're watching live by Facebook, good morning. And if you're catching the replay, uh, thanks for taking the time to spend with me and to watch it. I know that your time is valuable. And so I always try to make sure that I'm putting out good content. I have uh, recently been adding a PayPal link. For those of you that want to support us or help us produce more content like this, uh, to give you some background on that, I was a founder and senior pastor of a ministry <clears throat> for over 20 years, and uh, the ministry is still intact, but during the pandemic, when everything was shut down, and we were already kind of shifting, making this, this shift prior to that, because I'd already gone through a lot of deconstruction, took a local community through that process, and we had even uh, changed the name of our church, decided we weren't going to be, you know, a traditional, typical church. And then when everything shut down with the pandemic and stuff, it just became necessary to kind of shift our strategy. And during that time in 2020, uh, the reach, the footprint, the scale was much larger by being able to connect with uh, globally, with a global family, with people from all over. And it's just been a, a joy and a pleasure to do that. And so... At any rate, we still have a nonprofit organization. So the PayPal link goes to our nonprofit organization. And what I'm trying to do, and just be very honest and transparent about it, is transition um, out of my day job <laughs> so that I can do this more full time. Uh, because creating content, as you may know, if you do this yourself, takes a lot of time and effort and energy. And I'm just spread too thin. Uh, with everything I'm doing. So if you want to donate to our ministry, if you want to help us and help me be able to transition, even if it's just $5 or $10 or whatever it is that you want to give, if this has value for you, then, uh, and you want to be a part of getting some of these messages out and seeing more content and participating more so that we can create more of an online community. I really want to get to the point where we can create something like a Patreon page or something that will uh, allow for meetings with those that are in the same vein and in this same current so that you guys can connect. And one of the things that I do is I do coaching for people who are coming out of Christianity, they're deconstructing or they're experiencing religious trauma or they need some kind of spiritual life coaching, some help to make that transition. I do some coaching and I've, you know, coached people from all different kinds of walks of life through religious trauma and deconstruction and or finding a new spiritual path after decon or maybe you didn't get into religion at all, but something that we're doing is resonating. So the point is I do a lot of coaching with people like that. And one of the things that is consistent with everyone that I've coached is they don't have community around them. They don't have anyone that they can really talk to about these things in their lives because either, uh, the religious people in their lives feel threatened or people in their lives don't have the same interests in terms of spirituality. So I think connecting people so that they can just explore those things and work through those things would have a lot of value. So that's something else that we're looking forward to doing. But again, right now I'm more or less a one man show. I've got a little bit of help. Um, give a shout out to Roger Brown for all the work that he does to make sure these go up on 
the iTunes podcast. So if you're listening via iTunes or podcast, <clears throat> uh, check out my YouTube channel. You can type in Conscious Spirituality and my name, Aaron Tomlinson, and my YouTube channel will come up. You can subscribe. Um, but anyway, down the road, those are some things that we want to do. But I realize I don't have a lot of the time to, to devote to that that I want to. And the response the last few times that I've put out that PayPal link has been overwhelming. Um, I, it, it's totally exceeded my expectations in terms of what people have given and the generosity that's been out there. So all of you that have supported this and supported me, I just want to give you a shout out and a big thank you. And hopefully I'll find the time to sit down and respond to each one of you individually. I also want to have more time to look at the comments and be more interactive with the comments and things like that. So um, I need the extra money to uh, at least cut down what I'm doing to provide for my family right now. So all the gifts and everything helps. So thank you very much. So today, um, given some people time to log on here. Today, what I want to talk about, an interesting topic for me, uh, I was going to entitle this Spirituality and the Interactive Life and look at some of these concepts. And as I was thinking about that title, I just began thinking about that term, spirituality. I mentioned Freeology Friday. Um, you can find Derek Day's YouTube channel if you want to watch Freeology Friday. It's, it's a little bit... Uh, we get we talk about all kinds of different things, current events, issues, things that we think will be practical to people's lives and help them. But what we talked about on Friday, this last Friday, was the the subjective nature of spiritual experiences. And that's where my mindset's been lately and how I've been thinking about these things is the subjective nature of spiritual experiences. But then I, I got thinking this morning, what do we really mean when we say spirituality? What are we really talking about? You know, spirituality, spiritual spirit is one of those really slippery terms because it can mean so many different things to so many different people that there's not a really solid, clear-cut, concrete definition of what it is. And so I do want to talk about what is spirituality. And so I picked a synonym for it that speaks to me what best what spirituality is and that would be living a transcendent life living something that has transcendence in it and i guess the more important thing is what do we do with this like if if we have some sense of spirituality or some sense of transcendence which i'll get into it like i said in a minute how does that really impact us how does that really translate into the rest of our lives, into the rest of who we are. And I wonder, you know, I'd really be interested in seeing some dialogue on this in the, uh, in the chat because I wonder how some of you connect whatever your spiritual experiences are or whatever spiritual practices you may have or whatever your thoughts are about your spiritual life. How do you integrate that into your life and how does that translate out to the rest of who you are and the rest of what you do, meaning family, work, society, <clears throat> all those different things? How does it inform it? How does it empower it and change it? Or is spirituality just kind of like a hobby? Uh, I think for a lot of people, you know, 
certainly there are people out there. Spirituality is more of a hobby. It's more of a side interest. And then when we get into this whole idea of spiritual experiences, <clears throat> having paranormal experiences, having experiences that are outside of the norm, whether they're visions or dreams or precognitions, interactions with seemingly non-physical entities, how does that translate? And so for a lot of people, I know that these kind of paranormal experiences are exactly that. They're paranormal. They're not the norm. I think you can tap into a lifestyle where it does become more of the norm, where it becomes more of an ongoing type of experience. But more often than not, when someone has a paranormal experience, it kind of shocks them. They kind of, uh, because it's out of the, it's out of the norm, right? It's out of the ordinary. <clears throat> so it gets, it gets our, it might shock us a little bit. It might leave us scratching our heads. But for the most part, we don't know what to do with those experiences. We don't know how to, we, we don't know what they mean. We don't know what they're about. And we certainly don't know how to take those and integrate those into our daily lives. Now you may also, you know, listen to other teachers on YouTube or, or have other teachings or things that you follow that connect with your idea of spirituality, your experience of spirituality. But again, how do you integrate that? How does that translate into anything of value with the rest of who you are and the rest of your life? So without any further ado, let me give you the definition of transcendence, because for me, this is how I would define spirituality. So <clears throat> dictionary definition is existence or experience beyond the normal or physical level. Existence or experience beyond the normal or the physical level. So I want to talk about both of those, and then I want to get into my thoughts about how we can integrate this stuff so that it has more power and more meaning and really more substance for us in our lives. So let's talk about existence or experience that's beyond the normal, because we're talking about two different things. Existence and experience are very different. So for a lot of people, they have a paranormal experience. So they encounter one of these things like what I was saying, a vision or a dream, something in meditation that's really sort of out of the norm and sort of shakes you and sort of shocks you, or an encounter with something that you cannot explain. That'd be a transcendent experience. It's outside of the norm of your daily experience. But what about this idea of a transcendent existence, an existence that goes uh, beyond the normal, an existence that goes beyond the physical? That's more of an abiding state. And so I wonder what would happen if as human beings, if it's possible to live a transcendent life, to live a transcendent existence, to exist or to come from a place that's beyond just the normal. And then from that point of existence, from that state of being, then something flows out of you that is transformative to every other area of your life. It's empowering to every other area of your life. It's a, it's a totally different way of living and a totally different way of existing. So to begin this, I want to talk about <clears throat> something from the world of psychology. Uh, I have degrees in psychology and I'm a counselor in my day job. 
I see my friend uh, <clears throat> Daryl Carlson is saying hello, Daryl. I think you'll appreciate this because I want to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of human need. <clears throat> now, some of you may have experience with that because of education or you took a psychology class or it's just an interest or whatever. But Abraham Maslow, one of the, I think, really founders of what could be called today positive psychology, created a pyramid or a diagram of human progression or human existence. So you can think about a triangle. And then the triangle is broken into various different categories of human need. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Human Need. And I wish I could flash it up there for you. But um but at the at the bottom at the foundation you have uh let's just get into it. You have the first level of need. One second. I need to switch here. Is your physiological so these are simply your physical needs that you have as a human being. <clears throat> so this is things like food, air, water, shelter, <clears throat> clothing, the basic needs that are met. And so Maslow would say that's where we begin, that at the, at the top, at the pinnacle of the diagram is this thing called sexualization. That's the direction that we're moving. But before we can do self-actualization, we have to build on these foundational levels by, and here's the point, by having our specific needs met. So the first level, most basic level of need is physiological needs for survival. And if you don't have those met, what Maslow would say is that pretty much your entire existence, your entire uh, decision-making processes, your actions, your behaviors, the way you relate to other people, the way you think about yourself, is going to be focused on getting those needs met because until you get those needs met, nothing else matters, right? So then the next level of need is safety needs, safety and security needs. So personal security. So I have the resources. If I'm in this category, I have the resources to sustain my physical life. I have air. I have food. I have water. I have shelter. I have all those things. But I may not have them tomorrow. I may be able to eat now, but I may not be able to eat tomorrow, or I may not be able to eat next month. So this might be the person who is clinging to a job and living paycheck to paycheck and barely getting by and isn't sure what would happen to them if they did lose a job. They're not very confident in their job skills or their job experience or their ability to go out and provide those things for themselves or those that may be depending on them in some way, shape, or form, like children or family, whatever the case may be. So the next thing we're looking for, once those basic needs are met, is we're looking for security. So that would include things like um, employment and knowing that you are employable. It may include things like having resources, having a savings account, having something that's uh, there in case there are emergencies. In other words, it frees your mind up from worrying about tomorrow. So if you're just at the first level, you're worried about today. You're worried about how am I going to eat today? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to find food, water, air, shelter, all those things. If you get past that level, then the next thing that you need is you may have enough for right now, but you may be worried about inflation. You may be worried about next year. You may be worried about, uh, you know, maybe you don't have health insurance, and so maybe you're healthy today, but what happens if something happens to your health and you need to get health care and you don't have uh, good access to health care because you don't have good insurance. You make too much money to qualify for things like uh, uh, 
Medicaid or stuff like that. So you're worried about your tomorrow. So this is where the safety needs come in, and this is how safety needs differentiate themselves from uh, physiological needs. And so your mind is consumed with worry. Your mind is consumed with tomorrow. So therefore, most of your thought process, most of your life energy is going in to meeting those unmet needs. The next level, so if you're going up the triangle, you're going up the pyramid, the next level is the need for love and belonging. So that's pretty self-evident, the need for love and belonging, for friendships, for family, for connection, for a life partner, those kinds of things. Those social-emotional needs come next. And so, again, you can have your physiological needs met. You can have your safety and security needs met. Uh, but until, this is what Maslow would say, until those two are in firm place, until they've been addressed and taken care of, then when you get into the third level of social and emotional needs, now you can think about those. Before you couldn't think about those because you're worried about just your survival. So now you're thinking about your social and emotional needs. You're wondering how you're going to make friends. You're wondering how you're going to fit into community and how those needs are going to be met. And then there's one more level of need before you get to the pinnacle of the temple, the pinnacle of the triangle, uh, which is self-actualization. And the next level would be a need for healthy, a healthy sense of self or what he calls esteem, your esteem needs. So this is things like respect from other people, uh, things like self-esteem, feeling really good about yourself, status, recognition, strength. And freedom. Freedom's important there. So the way Maslow is putting this together is he's saying that wherever you find yourself on these layers of need, until those needs are met, you're more or less being driven by external factors. You're being driven. Your life is being led or being driven to meet your unmet needs. It's being driven by unmet needs. And then at the top of the triangle is self-actualization. Excuse me. <clears throat> so let me give you a definition for self-actualization that I really like. Um, self-actualization can be generally thought of as the full real, full realization of one's creative, intellectual, and social potential. But now here's the key. Through internal drive versus external rewards like money, status, or power. So the only person who can really, according to Maslow, manifest their highest potential, their high actualized manifest and be living in their highest sense of self is the person who's addressed all of these needs and has all of these needs met down below. So here's the key. There's a switch at self-actualization from external drives or the striving for external things, material things, social things, recognition, respect, status, all of that stuff. Once you have all of that, once your world is perfectly in order, then there's a shift that happens from an external drive being driven by your unmet needs to an internal drive where you really begin to fulfill the Delphi Oracle, right? You've heard of the Delphi Oracle, uh, uh, the mandate 
that know thyself or know yourself. In other words, nothing out here holds anything for you anymore because those needs are fulfilled, not because you have denied them, not because you have renounced them and rejected them and went off and lived in the forest by yourself or uh, whatever to do this internal exploration. So it's not a denial of need. It's a, it's it's not a freedom of desire that comes from denial of desire or killing desire. It's a freedom of from desires and a freedom from needs because of the fulfilling of those needs and the fulfilling of those desires. If I if those desires and needs are met, then I I'm free from them. I'm not thinking about them. So now I can be creative. Now I can think about how I want to manifest my highest and best self. But again, the key I want to point out, you go from an external drive being pulled by all these external things to an inward sense of self. So now you're pouring out. So in other words, everybody, according to Maslow, everybody that's living at these lower levels, their life is being externally controlled. And their focus, their awareness is external and they don't have the freedom then to really cultivate that inward life and manifest it outwardly. And that makes a certain amount of sense. And that certainly describes a lot of people in our society. But it also means that very few people ever get the opportunity to really express their creativity. Very few people ever get the opportunity to explore what self-actualization would be. Or if we tie this into transcendence, to be able to live that that transcendent existence that I was talking about earlier. So that's a problem. (laughs) That's a real problem. So what happens if, I, I was thinking about this, what happens if we take Maslow's hierarchy and we approach life a little bit differently and we turn it upside down? We turn it on its head. In other words, we put the point or self-actualization at the bottom, and then we probably would have to shift and reorganize the entire uh, structure. So instead of at the top being, you know, survival needs, probably the next category would have to be survival needs. So what you would do is you would keep the order of the hierarchy of need in the same order, in the same structure. You're just putting self-actualization at the bottom now instead of at the top and or you're putting it as the foundation you're putting it <clears throat> excuse me goodness you're putting it as a place that you're coming from you're living your life from that intrinsic internalized point of creativity and expression so in other words you're using your potential and you're using your creativity to apply that to your life so that your needs are met You're using that potential, you're using that creativity, you're using that essence of who you are to come from that space and then strategically figure out how my physiological needs are going to be met, how my safety and security needs are going to be met, how my social and emotional needs are going to be met, and how my needs for esteem are going to be met. So this is where I kind of get into the title of uh, the the show or the topic of this show, which is living a transcendent and interactive life. So we begin with the question, what's inside me? Like, who am I? And 
then as a result of having a solid sense of self and a solid sense of who I am, I go out into the world and interact with all these different things, interact with all these levels of need, interact with all these social relationships with my job, with everything that I'm doing, making contact with the world, making good contact with the world, because I first have made really good contact with myself. Uh, In other words, I can't really relate well with you if I don't, I can't make good contact. Let's look at it this way. I can't have good, healthy contact with you if you're in my life or anybody that's in my life if I don't first have good, healthy contact with me. I can't do my job to the best of my ability if I don't have good contact with me. I can't even know what job I'm best suited for if I don't have good contact with me. And so what good is a spiritual experience or a paranormal experience if it doesn't help you make good contact with you and good contact with others? What good is a spiritual path if it doesn't help you make good contact, if it doesn't set you in the place of that transcendent existence, or if it doesn't begin with the unfolding of who you are, with with the, the goal and purpose is I'm going to begin <clears throat> with actualizing myself. And as I actualize myself, my needs are going to be met rather than I have to have my needs met first. And then I can think about self-actualization. I need to be controlled by all these external forces out here. And then I can think about uh, my creativity and my potential and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I guess what I'm saying is what if we evaluate spiritual things? We evaluate even religious things. We evaluate spiritual experiences with this question in mind, how are these things putting me in better touch with myself? How are these things helping me to know myself? How are these things unlocking my creativity and my potential that are inside of me? So I'm not thinking about it. Is this precept of this spiritual teaching truth, absolute truth and solid? Is this spiritual experience real or not real? How do I explain it? Is it explained away as coincidence? Is it explained away by some other scientific means? Is it objectively true? What if I change the way I'm evaluating that information and sorting that information and saying, is this touching the deepest part of me? Is this empowering the deepest part of me? Is this empowering something that's on the inside of me, that's helping me to expand from a position of self-actualization so that I go out into the world and make good contact with others. Is this experiences, are these teachings putting me in touch with me or are they um, sort of random and peripheral? And so therefore then there could be no integration of them. So then we have to question what's the value of this? And maybe we, integrate or discard we make a decision i'm going to follow this path i'm going to pursue this more i want to think about this more i want to follow this because it's expanding me and the real reason that i'm here in other words it's giving me meaning and purpose and it's unlocking something inside of me so that i'm having good contact with myself i'm gonna keep saying it good contact with myself so that i have good contact with others right And if it's not, 
then why mess with it? Like, like it's shifting from, is this real and actual to, is this helping me actualize? Is this helping me be more real? Is this helping me be more authentic? Is this helping me to take my highest and best self out into the world? And if it is, then there's, it's worth pursuing. And if it's not, and we evaluate it in the, that context, then perhaps it's not worth my time or my pursuit. So that brings me to an evaluation of religious teachings, meditation practices, prayer, all these things that we put along spiritual lines. Uh, last talked about channeling. Um, last week we talked about contact with non-physical entities. You can find that last week's uh, live under the live tab in <clears throat> YouTube or on my Facebook page. Like, are these experiences that I'm having enhancing me and growing me or not and evaluating things through that way. So let's just take some popular <clears throat> stuff out there and, uh, and then I'm, I'm going to actually get into scripture here in a minute and bring this all together for you. But I, t- two, two things that I hear over and over and over again in the new age movement, in the love and light community, the holistic metaphysical community is the idea of awakening to the present moment that we're just living in the now, (laughs) that that's kind of the goal of awakening, that that's what awakening means. Awakening means that I wake up and realize usually a few things that, that, that there's just this present moment. I awaken and I realize that all of my thoughts and emotions and desires and all that stuff really doesn't exist. There is no self. This is the concept of no self. It's all just part of a constructed ego, that I am simply eternal presence, and I am eternal presence existing in the present moment or in the now, and anything else, any thought, any feeling, any experience, any opinion, any belief, any pursuit is simply part of the ego and doesn't really exist inside. There is no self. And when there is no self, when the self dissolves, then I realize that I'm just part of this ethereal oneness that I can look at it out at you and I can realize that I'm one with you and you're one with me, that we are the same being, that I'm, that I'm one with all things. And maybe the goal to that then is to end suffering. If I realize there is no self, if I realize that it's all ego, if I awaken in the present moment, and then I can end suffering. And I've just got to tell you, after 20 years, opportunities to make the decisions for like, you know, A Course in Miracles is really heavy on the forgiveness aspect. And uh, this is an illusion. This all of this is an illusion aspect. And, and I don't I've never studied A Course in Miracles. It's just never resonated with me. But these are some of the reasons that it doesn't resonate with me, because then what? I mean, so what? You woke up to the present moment. Okay. You realize the past is a a delusion and the future is a fantasy and all that exists is this eternal present moment. You realize that a lot of your thinking and all this process that's going on in consciousness is just ego and that you are eternal presence. And so you strip yourself from that. Okay. So you wake up to no self. You wake up to the present moment and this concept, this sense, and I know people get this transcendent sense of oneness. I've had those experiences 
myself. I've had those, those, those wonderful mystical moments where you, you just, your sense of self just sort of dissolves into something else. And those are moments. And then you come back to life and you have to live again. But at the end of the day, how is any of that helping you to make really good contact with yourself? Because there, there are aspects of that that are very helpful. But is that the end all be all? Is that it? We just wake up and realize, hey, we're living in the present moment. And wow, everything about me is an illusion and it's all just ego and I need to get rid of my ego and I just need to be absorbed into this oneness. Why? To, to what, to what point? Uh, you know, I'm trying to be something other than a human being. And so much of religion and so much of spirituality is just, I'm just trying to be something other than what I am. I'm trying to be more than a human being. And we'll even say, you know, that in a lot of spiritual teachings that we had a, a, a prior eternal existence, that we lived on some, you know, higher ethereal plane, that we were at one time, everything was just a monad. It was just one with God. And now I'm down here having this physical human existence, but instead of fully embracing the human existence, instead of fully embracing the human experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, 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 the good times and the bad times, the pleasantries and the ecstasies of being human, as well as the pain and the suffering of being a human being. I, I, I want the ecstasies and the pleasures, but I want to get away from the pain. That in and of itself is being driven by something externally outside of you. I don't like the suffering. I don't like what, I don't like disappointment. I don't like unfulfilled desires and things like that. You see, you see what I'm saying? How does that help me have good contact with myself and good contact with others? And so that's where we get into this interactive process in life. Even when I'm evaluating a spiritual experience or I'm evaluating a teaching or a path, it's interactive. I'm bringing myself into that experience or that teaching and I'm evaluating that experience or that teaching based on my life experience. So wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm always, my sense of self is always part. So here's my question. How am I supposed to have sustainable impact? How am I supposed to have good contact with others? How am I supposed to develop a healthy ethos, a healthy sense of ethics, a, a sense of who I want to be and how I want to relate to others in this world with principles and with values and with integrity if I don't have those things because they're all BS, they're all just part of the ego. If I don't own those things as a constellation of who I am so that I really find my own star and allow that to shine. So what's the key to some of this? So I said I was going to read some scripture and I just want to do this because I want to illustrate the interactive nature of this. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read just a couple of verses. And you say, Aaron, why are you, why are you using scripture? I thought you, you, you gave all that stuff up. Listen, I gave up the dogmas of my religion. I gave up the superiority and the exclusivity of my religion. I gave up the toxic elements of my religion. But I refuse to be in bondage to this scorched earth mentality 
this either or all or nothing sort of mentality where it's all just garbage and it's all just harmful. But I also bring my interactive self to it. In other words, I want to read these words from the scriptures and I want to bring my, my friend Derek Day talked Friday about the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. So in Bible school, you're taught to exegete, to read the text as it was written so that you can uh, somehow pull out of it the meaning of what it actually says, what it was intended to say, whether you believe it was written by just men or whether you believe it was written by inspiration of God. So if I believe it was written by just men, just men, only men, not just. <laughs> Getting into religious terminology there. But if I think it's written only by men, then I want to go in there and I want to find out what were they thinking, right? What did they intend to say? If I believe it was inspired by God, then I've got to get in there and i got to find out what was the message that was being sent. I'm going to do this totally differently. And I'm going to bring myself to the text to, to illustrate this sort of interaction and I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to apply it to the way that I'm thinking about it, because I think it ties into Maslow. But I'm bringing Maslow with me, and it's from Revelation. Bear with me. This is this is going to be one of those moments to be like, what the heck is he talking about? Just stay with me. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, on the front and on the back, sealed with seven seals. A scroll, a book, written on front and written on back, written on the inside, written on the outside, but you can't read it because it's sealed with seven seals. Then you have this dramatic, you know, for the next several passages, you have this dramatic thing where the lamb opens the seals, and every time a seal is opened, you know, that's where the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released. That's where all these judgments and wrath and all this stuff. So if I read this strictly for exegesis purpose, I gotta figure out what's going on here. If I read it from the perspective of eisegesis, eisegesis means I'm honoring myself and I'm bringing myself to it. What do these words mean to me? What are they saying to me right now? I throw out all the context. I throw out all, everything else about it. But if it sparks something in me, if something leaps inside me when I read that or intrigues me or draws my attention, then I apply myself to it and I say, how does this apply to me? What is this saying to me? And so I'm going to connect it with one of my favorite just passages in all of literature, one of my favorite poems. I mean, something that still just speaks to me today. One of my favorites always was Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, David's celebrating, or the psalmist is celebrating, the writer of the poem is celebrating uh, his, this, the, the, the omnipresence of his God and, and the way that he was created. But this can speak to us and have meaning for us today. This is something that can touch, like I said, that transcendent part inside of us and inform us and help us to integrate this into the rest of our lives. And I'll bring it back to Revelation 5 in a minute. But he says in verse 12 of Psalm 139, he says, For you created my inmost being. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearful there is more like awesome. It's like David saying, I'll praise you because I'm awesome. Like he's so in love with himself that he's giving his praise back to his creator. 
And then he says in verse 15, he says, my frame in the NIV, in the, in the, in the King James and New King James, it says my substance. My substance was not hidden from you. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, while I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, or again, my unformed substance in the King James. It's important I'm highlighting that word. Your eyes saw my unformed substance or my unformed body. Now watch this. All the days ordained for me were written in your book or in your scroll before one of them came to be. Remember, they didn't have books, they had scrolls. All my days were written in your scroll before one of them came into existence. So let me tell you how I'm reading this text and how I'm being interactive with it, how I'm bringing myself to the text and eisegeting meaning out of it that's empowering for my spiritual life and my spiritual journey. In Revelation chapter 5, Jesus, or him that sits on the throne, actually doesn't say Jesus, him who sat on the throne, has a scroll with seven seals, and it's got writing on the inside, and it's got writing on the back. But it's sealed. It's not open. Nobody can read it. But when you begin to open, then there's these cataclysmic-type events. And then in Psalms, it says that God saw our substance. He saw our unformed body. And as there was this unformed body, it's this idea that this scroll, that there that there are days yet to be lived. There are things yet to be experienced and yet to be had. And they have some definition because they've been written down. They've been ordained. They've been planned. And so for me... The book of Revelation chapter 5 and the book of Revelation or Psalm 139 are the same scroll and the same book. And it has to do with my inmost being, has to do with my deepest part, has to do with my essence. In fact, the word there is hypostasis. That's the Greek word in the Septuagint. Hypostasis, substance. It's the same word if you're familiar with the scripture in Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What What is hope if it's not in the days ahead? What is hope if it's not about the future? And how can there even be any hope if I'm just awake and alert to this present moment with no sense of self and we're all just one? So what? How does that really help anybody? I mean, it might help you in the moment and it might help you escape some things. But for me, that just doesn't work, right? So... Here's how I've worked this out. And this comes from a lot of looking into myself, a lot of deep exploration, this trying to fulfill this mandate of know thyself. Who am I? And if I'm honest, there's times that I'm driven by my unmet needs. Like the only thing that matters in that eternal present moment is that I get my need met, that I eat some good food or that I have some shelter from the snow that we just had, a spring snowstorm here in Colorado, or come in from the cold or uh, a social emotional need or a drive for significance and status or working hard at a job so that I have some sense of security. There have definitely been times that I was pulled in those directions, right? That I was just being driven by unmet needs. In fact, my entire ministry, a lot of my ministry, was based on th- this struggle and this wrestling for significance within the ministerial community or securing um, speaking engagements because at the time the church was too small to meet the financial needs that I had. And so being able to go out and preach other places and, and get paid for those services, get honorariums and compensation for that, or the need for attention or the need for accolades and affirmation, the self-esteem needs, it all gets wrapped up 
in that, right? Being pulled in all those different directions. <clears throat> and then there's times that I'm fully satisfied. I look back and I think, okay, I'm good. You know, I'm okay. I've got security. I've got friendships. I've got esteem. I've got all this. You know, all is right with the world. But then even when all is right with the world, there's a deeper level inside me. I'm talking about something inside me right now that speaks to me, that says there's something more, that comes from a deep place inside of me of love, that comes from a deep place of sense of purpose, that comes from a deep place of awe and wonder, like where David is here. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. But this, this hypostasis, this unformed substance, in, in the Greek, in the Greek mind, Greek philosophical mind, the belief was that the physical structure of reality came out of this realm of, that they would call hypostasis, this invisible realm of mind, this invisible realm of consciousness, and this invisible realm of consciousness, they call it the word in the Bible, created things. It's the foundation. It's the spiritual invisible essence of all things in creation. So in the mind of the Greeks, at least, when they use that term, when the psalmist is saying, when you saw my substance, when you saw my essence, you saw into who I really was before I ever took on a body, before I ever took on any kind of formation. And the days written for me in your book are connected to the full expression of that essence. The, the releasing of what, what we just defined earlier in Maslow as self-actualization. And so I wonder how many of you out there that even when life is good, there's, there's still a deep longing for something to be unlocked, but it feels like it's sealed. It feels like it's closed and, and something needs to open up so that the scroll can be rolled out so that the expansiveness of who you are can flow out so that as the gospel of John says, Jesus said out of your innermost being can flow rivers of living water up from within you comes a well of living, living water, uh, a well of life. So like touching that deep place of identity on the inside of you. And you can't experience those things. If you just think that there's nothing there, if you just think that you're the same as everybody else and you're just one and it's all an illusion, then what's the purpose? You see what I'm saying? So why is there writing on the inside and the outside? Why, why is the scroll, why is there writing on the inside and the outside? So here's, here's my premise. There are two stories going on with us at any given moment in time. The story that we're most familiar with, in other words, there's a story on the inside and there's a story on the outside. There's writing on the inside and the out, front and the back, the in and the out. There's a story on the outside that we're very familiar with. This is the story of who we are in, who, who has been formed. So if you want to talk about a false self or an ego, this is where I'm with you. The story of who I am based on who I was programmed to be by society around me. Remember, when you get to self-actualization, you shift from outside to inside, from being driven to meet external needs to internal full expression. So if I'm going to get those needs met, there's a certain element of conformity that is required. 
I have to conform to society on certain levels in order to have needs for safety and security met. If I need money to pay for stuff, that money's got to come from somewhere. There has to be some level of conformity. Either I'm selling something and I'm conforming to principles of selling and I have customers. I'm trying to put out good content, hoping to get donations so that I can transition into something else, like I talked about at the beginning of the video. There's conformity there. Have social and emotional needs met. Certainly there's a level of conformity that has to go on. But I lose myself. Here's what happens. If I lose myself in the external world, then I am caught in what the Hindus call Maya. What A Course in Miracles calls an illusion. Uh, the illusory self, the false self. Because myself, I'm, I'm completely disconnected from that internal self. I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't have any sense that there's a story inside of me that before my body was formed, that before I came into this physical existence and this physical being, there were, there was in my actual essence, there was, there were written days that I was to fulfill. Purpose. Life. Full expression. Self-actualization. I've lost complete touch with that. I don't know myself at all. I only know the person I've created myself to be based on the pressure for conformity to get all these external needs met. And that's what Maslow was able to identify. And that's what Maslow was able to recognize and say, until you can do those things, you can't escape that external self. You can't escape that story that's on the outside. So, for example, let's let's talk about education. So the education system is way outdated. Uh, public education was set up in America um, in the early part of the last century really to prepare people for the labor force. And if you think about it, at that time there was factories, so it was very much an assembly line process. So you go from class to class, you go from subject to subject, like a part moving on an assembly line, right? So if you've got a part in Detroit where they're building a car and it's on the assembly line, each time it moves, a new part is put into it, right? So we move from English class where the English part would be put into us into the math class where the math part would be put into us into the social studies class. You see what I'm saying? And we just move through our classes like something sitting on an assembly line and we're all treated exactly the same. There has to be conformity. We're all graded the same. And then your grade determines where your standing is in your class, where your achievement is, where your uh, respect and all that stuff comes from. You see what I'm saying? Your esteem, all of that comes from I graduated valedictorian. Well, I graduated the very back of my class. <laughs> I barely graduated. Hadn't been for a teacher that I love to this day letting me cheat my way through one of my classes. I probably wouldn't have graduated. So then if I measure my intelligence or I measure my sense of self or I measure, measure my capacity in the world, we're already being classified into not just classes, which maybe there's a reason they call them classes, but into a hierarchy of achievement and performance and intelligence where our potential is identified, right? Most likely to succeed, you know, that definitely wasn't me. <laughs> voted in in class and probably was maybe maybe it was you maybe it wasn't but you you see what i'm saying it's all based on conformity and then if you've got needs 
and you struggle, you know, you have to fit into this. You have to compromise parts of yourself to fit into this. So part of my story becomes then that I struggled with math. You know, I withheld myself from things that I might have been interested in because I was so intimidated about math because I couldn't get it in the third grade. And in the third grade, my third grade math teacher didn't like me or whatever. And I was treated like I was stupid, right? So I just avoided math. I avoided science, even though I'm incredibly interested in science because math and science went together. I kind of avoided those subjects. But you see what I'm doing? I'm telling you the story that's that's outside of me, right? Family values. I'm indoctrinated with family values. I'm indoctrinated in white Christian nationalism. I'm indoctrinated in the Christianity of America. I'm indoctrinated into what it means to conform to be a patriot in this country. So I've got familial programming, family programming about what it means to be a good person. My values, my ethics were all informed by my family. My intelligence and potential in the workforce is defined by how well I conformed to a pattern that was there to make good workers. It wasn't there to make you successful. certainly wasn't there to help you self-actualize. It was there for you to feed the system, right? And then I can be programmed politically by opinions and ideas that are coming at me from the news, and I can be informed by my national identity and what it means to be an American, what it means to be a patriot. Oh, that really makes me something better than everybody else in the world, and oh, I'm so fortunate, and then my ideals are shaped, and I think uh, i got to carry a gun and can't pass common sense gun legislature legislation uh, because of the right to bear arms. You see what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to get political. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just saying that's the story outside of me, and if I lose myself, if I don't have a good touch, so from Maslow's perspective, we lose ourselves in the world until we can play the game well enough, we can play the game of society well enough, that all those needs are met. So now we don't have anything to externally pull on us or to externally drive us. We're not driven by rewards and punishment anymore because it's not in our mindset anymore. Now I can start to make good contact with myself. What, when I'm 50? Or never because I, I didn't have those things? You see what I'm saying? But then you have this story inside of you. You have these longings inside of you. So here's here's a different approach to education. Here's a different approach. I remember when my son Elijah was born, and and I remember holding him as a baby and did the same thing with Josiah. But Elijah was first, right? And so with both those boys, just holding them and looking at them and looking at them and trying to peer into them, trying to see their unformed substance, because they didn't come to this world just a blank sheet. They didn't come to this world. They're, they're, the outside of the book is blank. That story hasn't been written yet, but there's something inside of them. And that's why the psalmist goes on in another place and he says, uh, out of the mouth of babes, thou hast ordained strength to silence the enemy and the avenger who's the enemy and the avenger it's all the external forces that are trying to shape you to disconnect you from yourself but when you are a babe you have a story to tell the first time you took a breath and you cried that was the first resonant sound of your authentic voice coming out and one of those seals was broken because there was something inside you that you were meant to demonstrate and manifest and actualize in the world and that voice connecting with that primal voice with that primal sound 
has the strength in it to silence the Avenger who's trying to take away you from yourself, alienate you from yourself. And religion and spiritual paths are all just another form of programming. I'm looking for something outside of myself. I'm looking for channeled works. I'm looking for scriptures. I'm looking for a guru. I'm looking for a path. I'm looking for somebody to tell me who I am, what I am, where am I, all that stuff. And so then I just assimilate into those programs. I assimilate into Christianity. I assimilate into this spiritual path or that spiritual path, appealing to some higher authority that is outside of myself. And the whole time I can do what Jesus said, gain the world, but lose my whole soul. Not talking about some kind of eternal judgment, but I'm conforming. I want to fit into this community. So I better talk about the ego. I want to fit into this community. So I better talk about being awake to the eternal present moment, because that's what everybody else is talking about. That's what everybody else is saying is the thing. And so it's just another form of conformity instead of getting deep inside myself. So back to my kids, right? So I'm looking at them and I'm saying, what's in you? Like, what are your talents? What are your abilities? Because you came innately equipped for something, right? So what if we revisioned education and we said, we're going to take the first part. We're going to allow your being to unfold naturally with structure and guidance. In other words, I'm not talking about, you know, parenting that just lets kids go out and do whatever they want because that's just them expressing themselves or just go to schools and play at recess the whole time. But careful observation of what are your interests, what are your talents, tests that evaluate you rather than tests that evaluate the system. Like, why do my kids have to go take a test every year for the state government to see if the school's doing a good enough job? But yet they've never taken personality tests. They've never taken uh, strengths tests. They've never taken the right kind of IQ test to discover where their strengths are, where their uh, uh, abilities lie. What if every year you had to do that? And as you change and evolve, maybe the results change and evolve and the education plan is developed differently. What if we identify that you've got good spatial intelligence, meaning that you're uh, above average with the ability to uh, do complex things out here, things like mechanics or engineering or uh, just knowing how things work and how to put things together. That's your innate capacity. Why do we have to wait until you're 18, 19 years old, then hope we've discovered it somehow in the midst of this mess of an education system that we have, and then send you off to some trade school or send you off to some university or, or whatever the case may be? Or maybe you go into athletics or you go into music or something like that. What if we identified early on, you've got incredible musical talent. You've got incredible spatial intelligence. You're an incredible athlete. You're a great communicator. You have a way with words. You want to tell stories. You like to read, whatever. You're great with math. You have a passion for medicine. You have the right temperament for supportive contributions. Like you don't want to be out front. You don't want to be the tip of the spear, but you want to be a part of something. And you'd make excellent support staff. What if we identified those things early on? And we cultivated those things. See, now we're cultivating the story that's inside you. (laughs) See what I'm saying? I hope this is making sense. Now we're cultivating your self-actualization. 
And we're going to set you on a path of self-actualization so that you're self-actualized when you come out at 18. You know who you are. You know the story that's inside of you. And so the power for me of, of Revelation chapter 5 is not that the Lamb is going to open the seals to some cosmic horrors. But what if spiritual interaction with a higher intelligence, call it your higher power, call it God, call it source, call it your innermost self, your highest self, higher self, I don't care what you call it, but that higher guiding intelligence, like why is it that we can believe there's some kind of guiding principles and intelligence that keeps this ecosystem together, that keeps the earth spinning and moving and keeps the universe and, and it has, there, there's this organizing principle that works towards a higher state of being. Even if all you believe in is evolution, even in evolution, there's an organizing principle that is benevolent. Then why is it so far out to believe that there's an organizing principle that we are a part of that has written out days for us yet to live, but these days are not alien to us. They're not foreign to us. They come out of our essence. When I saw your essence, when I beheld your substance, or you beheld my substance, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book. And so the idea is, yeah, if I, if I can get in the heavens, if I can get, I'm speaking somewhat metaphorically here, but if I can have a spiritual experience where I'm caught up into the heavens, and the lamb, like nature, gently comes and opens up a seal for me, opens up part of that story that's inside me. And if you embrace this process, a process of deep self-exploration and examination, this is why I love the left-hand path as opposed to the right-hand path. Those of you that have heard me talk about that. Two different approaches to spirituality. Right-hand path is the path of conformity and loss and sacrifice. Get rid of the flesh, get rid of the ego, become one with God, conform to the community, serve serve others, forgive, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, go along to get along. And lose yourself in the process. I mean, lose yourself in the process. That's what they teach. Unless you deny yourself. Versus the left-hand path, which says, you're a star. You, you have a light. You have an expression. You have a uniqueness. You have a value. You're of infinite value. All parts of you. Because there's never been anyone exactly like you, and there never will be anyone exactly like you ever again. And it's up to you to steward yourself. Your highest obligation. So here's what I'm saying. Your highest obligation is to that story that resonates inside of you, to that voice that's inside of you. Not to external forces, not to other people, not to relationships, not to your job, not to your country, not to your religious community. Not to a Lord outside of you or a God outside of you. Your highest obligation is to that deepest part of you, to that story that's on the inside of you. And this is what can start to happen. When you do that kind of work and you find out this is what I really want, this is who I really am, 
those seals start to be broken. Now watch what happens. If I take a scroll and I break the seals and I start to roll it open, watch what happens. It's got writing on the outside, on the back. As I open it, the back part gets covered and the inner part opens up. And I roll it some more and the back part gets covered and the inner part opens up. And I roll it some more and the back part gets open. And here's what this means then. Sometimes you have to rebel against that story that's on the outside. As you begin to give expression to the story that's on the inside of you, if you transition from outside to inside, get ready because that's going to be a cataclysmic event in your life. Because as you begin to give voice to that, as you begin to give your vibration to that, as you begin to give yourself to that, it's going to disrupt the story that's outside of you. It it has the power to disrupt the structure of the world in which you live. It can create cataclysmic events. If people would rather relate to the false you than the authentic you, the moment that the authentic you speaks, they are going to reject that you and reject the false you because you're no longer conforming to their pattern of who you think they need to be. And you can become a threat to the power structures in your life. You can become a threat to anyone that's controlling you in your life. You become a threat to anyone who wants to control you through their obligations. You're obliged to me. But it gives you the opportunity when that stuff opens up on the inside to say, okay, now the real gifts come out. Now the real treasure comes out. Now the real contribution, the real service to self. I'm sorry, service to others comes out. And they get to know the real you. That's why I said you gotta make good contact in here before you can make good contact out there. And so what I'm what I'm challenging you with and what I'm what I'm what I'm expressing is is the spiritual the spiritual path that you're on, the teachings that you're following, the direction that you're going, is it enriching this process? Is it assisting this process? Is it opening up the seals so that the deepest part of who you are can come out and, 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 and find its expression in the world? And when that begins to happen, there are synchronicities that begin to happen. The days that were written for you. See, until that book opens up, I'm living the days that weren't written for me. I'm, I'm, I'm living days that are disconnected from my spiritual essence. But when I connect with my spiritual essence and I begin to integrate that, my transcendent essence, my self-actualization essence, I'm trying to use a broad range of vocabulary for the widest possible audience to be as inclusive as possible with everybody's belief systems and where they're at. So the question becomes, does this path, does this teaching, is it touching the deepest parts of me? Is it empowering my voice? Is it empowering my self-actualization? Is it opening up that scroll? And if it is, then a shift, a massive shift is going to happen in your life. A quantum shift is going to happen. You don't have to shift into the multiverse to find a version of you that's living a different life. All you have to do is shift from these extrinsic motivations to intrinsic ones. All you have to do is start opening up the scroll that's on the inside of you and living the days that were meant for you. And when you begin to give expression to your true essence, your hypostasis, your substance, your days begin to change. You start living the days that were written on the inside. And when that happens, provision starts showing up.
When that happens, relationships start showing up. When that happens, synchronicities start showing up. But it can be a very, very disruptive process. So I've gone on pretty long. Um, I hope this resonates with you. Um, see so many comments coming up. Um, but I ran longer than I wanted to, so I'm going to have to go back and look at those because uh, I've got some things I need to get on to or get on with with my day. So, again, thank you for watching. Uh, if this helped you, if this blessed you, if this empowered you, and you'd like to see me be able to do more content like this, help me with my transition. I've got a PayPal link in the description on the YouTube channel. And uh, on Facebook, it doesn't go to my direct account. It goes to our ministry account, and that's the – uh, stewardship of that funds is uh, overseen by an incredible board of directors that we have, but uh, that can help me because I haven't, um, we haven't brought money in for, you know, a long time on a consistent basis. We're not an open church where we're taking offerings. So like I said, if you can give $5, uh, if you want to give more than that, that would be wonderful. It'll help me make that transition and help us really focus and maybe uh, get the staff or uh, things in place that we need so we can do better quality content, we can do more quality content, and we can create a community where we can connect around these things. So anyway, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for watching. Love all of you. Love the comments. I love each and every one of you. I appreciate each and every one of you that watches us faithfully and consistent, consistently. I appreciate all my subscribers on YouTube. Uh, and with that, I'm going to bid you adieu. I hope you have a great rest of your day, whenever, whatever time it is, whatever morning, evening, afternoon, when you're watching this. I hope the rest of your day goes well.